Where does it go? Where does it go? All of that cast off junk. Where does it go? Welcome to the podcast, Where Does It Go? I'm Emily. I'm Sarah. And we're here to tell you about stuff. And I believe Sarah is going first this time. So this is an amazing, like, just, um, what is it called? When you, when you go from one topic to another and it's just like an amazing transition. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Emily and I were just talking about caffeine and um, giving up caffeine and all this other stuff. And um, my topic for this week is where does caffeine go? From decaffeinated, from decaffeinated coffee. Ooh. Yeah, right? Where does it go? That's a, really, that's a good question. <laughs> it goes in lots of places. It's interesting. <clears throat> so, um, why, so why do people drink uh, decaf coffee? And so many people hate decaf coffee. And I really think the reason is that a lot of decaf coffee is terrible. It's just terrible. And um, I don't think they put a lot of, maybe they put a lot of effort in it. I think maybe they're using like low quality beans and then decaffeinating Mm -hmm. them. So maybe that's why it tastes like garbage. But I personally drink a lot of decaf coffee. I'm actually hypersensitive to caffeine. I'm one of those poor souls that Mm -hmm. I'm I'm hypersensitive to it, which is really weird because when I was younger... I was a barista and I was able to drink an ungodly amount of caffeine. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's, it's a, a quite a loss because you're really good at making coffee drinks. Yes, uh, I'm actually quite talented at it yeah. and I love coffee and I um, do actually roast my own beans occasionally. I have a little drum roaster. I, I love coffee. I grow a coffee plant. I think it's one of the coolest plants to have ever existed in the universe. Um, I find the history of coffee fascinating. And that's a whole other topic. If you ever see me on the street and you're just like, hey, Sarah, what about coffee? I'm happy to talk about it with you. (laughs) But this is about decaf Mm -hmm. and um, where the caffeine from decaf coffee goes, um, which is an interesting and um, varied process of how they get caffeine out of coffee. So um, what is caffeine? Do you know what caffeine is, Emily? Um, it's a uh, methylated xanthine. Oh, uh, damn, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the three. There's um, caffeine, uh, theobromine, and theophylline. Yeah. And it's in things so, like chocolate and coffee and tea. Yes. So if you are um, hypersensitive to caffeine, um, a lot of the time you might be sensitive to like dark chocolate as well, which Mm -hmm. I have actually found as well. Sometimes I'll get jittery if I have some really, really good chocolate, which is interesting. But um, caffeine itself is a natural insecticide in some plants, Mm -hmm. and that's why it exists. It's it's actually keeps insects off of plants, um, much like nicotine in in some plants like um, tobacco. So Mm -hmm. caffeine is is um, it's present in a bunch of different things like yapon berries, um, yapon hollies. Guarana has a lot of caffeine as well as cola nut has also has a lot of caffeine and that's originally um what they made um cola soda from but they don't make it from that now so caffeine um as um, many of us know is one of the most popular drugs in the world like um it's actually the most popular drug substances in the world that people consume regularly and um, get a wonderful benefit from it. Mm-hmm. I remember those days, lovely. They were so lovely, like just needing that kick to get through that paper. Mm-hmm. I remember that, but you know, those days are over. But anyway, <laughs> um, raw caffeine actually can kill you. There's been cases of, you know, raw caffeine killing people. You can buy the powder once it's um, out of the coffee or it's synthetic. You can actually buy the powder. And I guess I found a different 
differing um, ideas how much it can kill you, but generally a tablespoon of raw caffeine. Oh my gosh. Kill you. That doesn't I seem know, like a right? lot. It's not a lot. Jeez. <laughs> just just a tablespoon of the raw caffeine powder, like the white powder substance that you can buy from nefarious places in the world or whatever. Um, it, it can kill you. Yeah. It can give you like heart issues and then eventually stroke and then kill you. Yeah. So by the way, if you buy raw coffee powder, don't like just assume you can mix it in with stuff. Like actually do your homework on like how much you can put in. Please don't kill yourself on caffeine. <laughs> yeah, weights and measures seem like they'd be important in that instance. Yes, yes. So there's, um, how is caffeine removed from coffee? There's a few different ways to remove it. Um, the, the two main ways, um, and I'm really like chunking them, like I'm really simplifying this. Um, the original way was to remove it with solvents like benzene. They mm. no longer, yeah, they no longer do that because it's a known carcinogen. Um, the original process um, was invented by this guy named Ludwig Roselius. He was um, a German, and he invented it using steaming the beans, steaming the green beans as they come off the plant, mm -hmm. um, and then removing the caffeine with a benzene solvent. Um, they no longer do that because it's carcinogenous. Um, and, and they do use solvents now, but it's generally um, not carcinogen. The most popular process is Swiss water process, and that's the one that is the highest regarded as far as I'm concerned and as far as I've known other baristas and coffee aficionados. Um, the most popular process among people who love coffee is the Swiss water process. Mm -hmm. And really it's just the process of um, taking um, osmic water, um, local water, and um, just basically steaming the beans and then using green coffee extract and moving that caffeine um, with pressure from the bean um, that's been hydrated through the, the water and moving that caffeine, caffeine out. So, wow. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's actually a really cool process. Um, our friends counterculture have a really awesome, like, um, oh, video. Man, slow if you motion. ever want to watch it. They're yeah. It's, it's so good. Yeah. It's very, 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 very good. It's one of my favorites. Um, and they actually, they care about what they're doing. Um, they are not sponsoring us in any no. <laughs> shape or means. They're, just, they're a local coffee roaster and they're great. They're they great do a really good job. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. But um, there's also, I guess, food scientists really, really love the CO2 process too. Mm -hmm. It's a relatively new process for moving the caffeine out of beans. Um, it's similar to the solvent method, but it's using CO2. Um, and that's also how they decaffeinate tea leaves as well. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. So CO2 is generally, the CO2 process is how, um, as far as I can tell from my research, because I'm not a big tea drinker, um, is how they, they decaffeinate tea too, as an aside. Um, so the U.S. actually has a standard for decaffeination. Like to, in order to say something is decaffeinated, it has to be um, at least 97% caffeine. So if you're drinking an eight ounce cup of regular coffee, that's about 95 milligrams of caffeine to mm. like 200 milligrams of caffeine. Um, and for an eight ounce decaf cup of coffee, it's like one to 30. So for a really high decaf coffee, that's about equivalent of drinking uh, Coca-Cola. It's not really that much con considering it would be a hundred. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yeah. it just really depends on the coffee that you're drinking. Um, it, it's anywhere from one to 30, but it has to be in order for it to officially call itself decaffeinated. It has to be that 97% as a U.S. standard. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. So um, where does it go? Where does it go? I know. So this is an interesting, 
I, I looked and looked and looked and looked and it, it was really strange. It's like all of a sudden caffeine was gone. It was like caffeine was there and it's taken out of coffee and decaf and everybody's singing the praises of Swiss water process. And then where does the caffeine go? It was like, I looked and looked, I was like, I don't know where this goes. So I had to kind of do some research, which is good because that's pretty much what this podcast is about. The little, do a little legwork here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so you can order caffeine legally. And I was like, well, okay, where, where can you order it? And a lot of it is through um, Chinese um, distributors. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of them are um, in one province of China that I'm going to say this wrong, the Hebei province, it's H-E-B-E-I, and that's a lot of where these most popular factories are from, and they're taking the caffeine, the natural caffeine, they're also producing synthetic caffeine, so apparently the demand is so high for caffeine in the world that the 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 caffeine taken out of beans and out of tea is not enough to fill the demand. Wow. So yes. So they actually make a ton of synthetic caffeine as well. Which sounds, it sounds like something that would be sold at a gas station in a neon package, like a neon colored blister pack, like <laughs> lightning and a tiger on it for truckers. Like it you just, would be, you would be right about that. Wait, really? <laughs> so a lot of the, so there's no standard of telling you if the caffeine in your, in your soda, energy drink, energy powder, caffeine pill, um, caffeine, you know, face wash, whatever. There's no standard of telling you if it's uh, derived from natural caffeine or synthetic caffeine. Really? So it could have a mix of both. It could have only synthetic. Um, chances are it's probably synthetic because there's just such a huge demand for it. Mm-hmm. Um, the FDA in the U.S. regulates caffeine in food, but not much beyond that. Um, I did read a few um, stories of people that they tell you that you have to say that it has caffeine, but that's about it. And there was a story that there was an accident in a soda, orange soda factory, and they put way too much in. And first of all, why does orange soda have caffeine in it? I didn't find that out until about four years ago. I had no idea. And I have no idea. I have no idea. It, it, what about oranges is supposed to rev you up? Like, <laughs> <laughs> apparently they put 10 times too much. Uh, yeah. And so people were just like getting jitters and issues from caffeine from orange soda. And people were like, um, so my orange soda <laughs> gave me a panic attack. <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> Why? <laughs> That's a reasonable question. Yeah, exactly. Like I was fine one moment. I drank a glass of soda and now I feel, you know, like I'm flying through the roof. So yeah, that's interesting. But generally the FDA just says you have to say that it has it. It doesn't say how much, this is my understanding of it. It doesn't have to say how much, you know, like Mm -hmm. um, whether it's synthetic or, or natural. So you really need to watch if you're, if you're dosing yourself with caffeine because um, it helps your performance or whatever um, to make sure that you understand you trust the product first of all, and you kind of have an understanding of like how much caffeine you can handle because you can really hurt yourself um, or just, you know, make yourself ill on that much caffeine Um, some people actually don't have a problem with caffeine. Um, I know I'm hypersensitive to it. I I've discovered, um, some other people I've met are too. Um, and then some people don't even like feel it. They have something going on in their bodies where they just, they can drink a coffee and go to sleep. (laughs) All right. Yeah. So the interesting thing I learned is that synthetic caffeine 
instead of being like a whitish beigeish brown, like it is when it comes out of coffee or tea, um, synthetic caffeine has a bluish glow. Huh. Isn't that creepy? So <laughs> it's, it's from a science fiction novel. Exactly. And so they rinse it. It comes out blue. And so they have to rinse it so that it comes more whitish. So that's how they sell it. Um, because it's, I, I guess they understand that that's scary. <laughs> I don't know. What do they rinse it in? Is it like some sort of other horrific solvent? I, I'm assuming so. I couldn't find anything about it. Like I looked and I couldn't find yeah. anything. I was like, what are they rinsing in it? It's everything I wrote. Just they rinse it in various chemicals. I was like, oh, oh okay. <laughs> Interesting. Jeez. It's like soiling green. <laughs> I, you know, I thought that too. I was like, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Except it's not people. It's like kryptonite. <laughs> <sighs> well, this is all uh, increasing my resolution to drop caffeine in 2019. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I, I um, was having really bad panic and anxiety issues. I decided to drop caffeine um, and I, I had a lot of resolution of a lot of it when I did that. I've slowly added caffeine back, whereas originally I was not drinking decaf coffee. Mm-hmm. I was only drinking things that were naturally decaffeinated, so they had no caffeine in them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then kind of added back, I would have a little bit of uh, soda I would have decaf coffee, and now I just predominantly drink decaf coffee when I have a beverage other than water. So, yeah, it's great, and and it's fun to find good decafs. They do exist. I've noticed a lot of the local um, local roasteries um, in our area actually care about how things taste. So, <gasps> what? <yes>. <laughs> <laughs> so their decaf coffees are really great. Um, I just recently found a another small roaster that has a really great decaf coffee. And I'll tell you about them um, later if you like. <laughs> well, and I know you know Starbucks is its own corporate self, but their uh, instant coffee I actually like. Yes, uh, and their instant decaf is you know kind of as tasty as their instant regular. So. Oh, I've never known that. Yeah, I am uh, drinking some right now. And it's oh, good. the type of thing where uh, when you don't want to make a whole pot of coffee, it's kind of nice mm-hmm. to have. And we don't have a Keurig. I don't really want a Keurig. Uh, but it's nice to have just a little packet once in a while. Yeah. Good for I feel co- like... Go oh, ahead. Sorry. Good for cooking, too. If you ever have to put coffee in a recipe, it can mm-hmm. be handy to just have a little packet of instant instead of having a brew coffee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, I don't remember what I was going to say. Oh, it was related. No, <laughs> fine. <laughs> anyway. So that is where does caffeine go? Where does it go? It goes, um, to China and then is put in magical powders and potions to fuel the, the world. Oh, I was going to say, um, Keurig pods are a whole other, where does it go onto itself? Yeah. <laughs> That'd be an interesting one. Yes. They're interesting little machines. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, had, <laughs> we had one at my job at the county. It was donated by somebody because they were just not going to use it. They were gifted it. And it it literally never worked. It would just spew water everywhere. I'm sure somebody was messing with the settings and then everyone else was trying to use it properly. Yeah. But it was just like, there was just water everywhere all the time. (laughs) Oh, man. It just makes water. Yeah, it just spew hot water everywhere. (laughs) Some would get in your cup. Some would turn into coffee in your cup. But there would just be mystery puddles. (laughs) Mystery puddles. It It just, you know, it had issues. (laughs) Yeah, it was just... Puke everywhere. <laughs> it was stressed out like everyone else. <laughs> too much, too much caffeine. <laughs> <sighs> well, uh, it's 
somewhat funny. We keep all, kind of almost theming our, sh- our uh, shows because Sarah and I don't talk about what we're doing before we do it. I think it makes mm-hmm. it a little more fun for both of us. Uh, but I thought since we've been doing some kind of revolting topics in previous episodes that it would be nice to do one that I've wondered about for a long time, but is is very quaint. And it is, mm-hmm. uh, where do butterflies go when they sleep? Oh, uh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and so mine is about uh, sleep and how sleep works in insects and then also in some other animals. So where do they go and how do they sleep? Because uh, it, it started with where do butterflies sleep and then moths and then ants and then bees and then all sorts of other animals. So uh, we'll start with butterflies because I there are so many butterflies here compared to anywhere else I've lived. Uh, and also different moth species. Like there are uh, Luna moths and Cecropia moths and just little blues, just all sorts of stuff. And I really like moths and butterflies. Uh, but they usually sleep upside down under a leaf or a wide blade of grass, uh, so sometimes deep into grass crevices or gaps between rocks. Uh, they may sleep alone. They might sleep in pairs or uh, certain species like uh, monarchs sleep in very large groups. Uh, and they may kind of nap on cooler, cloudy days. Uh, most butterflies, but not all, are diurnal, so they sleep during the day. And most moths are nocturnal. So they sleep at night, but not all of each, uh, which I'm sure is fun for, uh, God, moth scientists. I can't think of the name. Lepidopterists. There we go. (laughs) Moth scientists. (laughs) (laughs) Moth assists. (laughs) I like it. (laughs) Lepidopterists. Uh, There's a family of butterflies known as the American moth butterflies. They sleep during the day and are active at night. And there's a genus of moth. They resemble uh, bumblebees or hummingbirds. Uh, I think the hummingbird hawk moth is part of these. Uh, They're weird looking. They're cool. They're amazing. When we first moved here, um, I was actually out of town and my husband called me and he was like, there's a flying shrimp. (laughs) (laughs) I was like... What? He's like, I think there's a flying shrimp outside. (laughs) (laughs) It turns out it was like some kind of hawk moth. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They look like shrimp. (laughs) They do. And they're active during the day and sleep at night, which is, you know, sort of opposite from moths, typically. Um, And moths sleep in similar places to butterflies. uh, So it's not very different in terms of... Uh, you know, finding a place to hide so you're not being eaten or threatened by something and to avoid parasites, which I thought was interesting because it doesn't occur to humans particularly since we cook our food and we practice a lot of basic sanitation, but uh, all animals really have to worry about parasites of some type or another. And where you sleep can affect your susceptibility to parasite infestation so that's a component but i don't know that it's a major one okay uh and then so insect sleep and i'm making air quotes which is really useful for an auditory medium like a podcast (laughs) (laughs) Uh, sleep for butterflies and moths is more of a the word they used was quiescence uh in I'm sorry. How do you spell that? Is it Q-U-I-E-S-E-N-T? Quiescent? That is very close. Um, So it would be Q-U-I-E-S-C-E-N-T. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, Sorry. (laughs) Oh, it's fine. I'm obsessed with the spelling of words. I mean, it's good to know how to spell things, and it can also tell you you know, what the word means based on root words and things. Uh, So butterflies can't shut their eyes. They don't have eyelids. And uh, 
their sleep or their quiescence is not very deep, if they're disturbed even at night, uh, they'll fly away. Uh, there are some other species, including humans, like if you walk into a room with a sleeping human, some will wake up, but a lot of them will just ignore you unless you're really loud. Uh, so their quiescence is also a low metabolic state and stillness, including stillness of their antenna. Apparently that is a major indicator of sleep in insects uh, is antenna um, stillness, <laughs> which must be really fun for scientists to just stare at an ant or a butterfly or something and wait for its antenna to move. Are you a sleeping little ant? Yeah. I don't see your antenna moving. <laughs> uh, some butterflies and moths hibernate, uh, particularly mm-hmm. if they overwinter in a cold climate. Uh, they sort of snuggle down into some kind of tree hollow or something uh, mm-hmm. and take shelter. Uh, most butterflies, if they overwinter, they overwinter as caterpillars or pupae. Uh, a very small amount overwinter as adults, which makes a lot of sense because uh, if you are overwintering in a cold climate, uh, you are risking f- literally freezing. And so you have to have physical structures and physical processes to protect your tissues from freezing or to regenerate your tissues after freezing because freezing damages all tissue. Uh, so do any butterflies or moths actually overwinter? Some do, a very small number. And I don't remember... The species. Uh, wow. I had yeah. no idea. I just assumed they lived for a season or they migrated like the monarch do. Mm-hmm. And that's why oh. it's only a few. That, and, you know, overwintering as caterpillars or pupae, a lot of bugs do that uh, because it's easier to curl up in a ball under a rock and then just wait it out. Uh but as an adult butterfly, your structures are so different and probably more prone to freezing since their wings are so thin. Uh, yeah. But to my knowledge, which is moderately limited, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> butterflies and moths only live a maximum of 11 months. Uh, and really, uh, some of them are as little as 48 hours after they emerge uh, from their pupae. So winter is not probably as big a problem as predators say. Huh. Uh, so when looking up like what sleep actually meant for butterflies and moths, I found information about ants sleeping and ants do sleep. Uh, the indicators of deep sleep, they're non-responsive to contact by other ants. Their antennae are folded. They might also have, instead of, REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep. They might have RAM sleep, rapid antennal movement. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so ants and bees may very well dream. Uh, you only dream during REM sleep is our current knowledge of sleep. And a lot of this is I'm not going to call it conjecture because that's not fair. A lot of people have worked very hard to uh, find out how all of this works, but there are gaps in human knowledge about what sleep is and how it works. Um, And what was interesting about ants to me uh, is the number of sleep episodes they have. So they don't sleep for a long chunk, like say Mm -hmm. most mammals do. Uh, the queens have about 92 sleep episodes a day, six minutes each. Uh, and then workers have about 253 sleep episodes a day, each around a minute long. Uh, oh, and, oh, wow. They're kind of narcoleptic then. It was yeah. just sleep. Okay, I'm awake. <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting. And, um, I was looking, I was reading about sleep in mammals and giraffes have funky sleep patterns in that they'll sleep for a chunk of time, wake up and go about their day. And they only sleep like two to four hours a day, which seems oh, wow. like a very small amount of time. 
So for such large animals, that surprises me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sleep in mammals seems to be linked more to basal metabolic rate than to size. Okay. I'm not a sleep scientist. I actually need to make a makeup appointment for my sleep doctor. (laughs) (laughs) That reminds me. Um, So so the the giraffe is, um, his basal metabolic rate would be lower because they're herbivores, I'm assuming. Yeah, they are. I always assume that um, herbivores have lower metabolic rates than we do. And I think you're right. That's why that's why their digestive tract is such that it is, is because they have to like basically churn all mm-hmm. that that stuff that all the leaves and junk that they eat. Um, whereas where our digestive tract is relatively fast. Mm-hmm. Yep, uh, I think they eat a lot of I think they eat a lot of acacia trees, which oh. I'm pretty sure are poisonous to a lot of species. But then you know. Caffeine is poisonous to a lot of species too. Yeah. We consume plenty of that. Caffeine is poisonous to dogs and I believe cats. Probably, probably horses too. I'm assuming, yeah. Um, just and as well as theobromine. So that's why you they always tell you like don't give it, don't give chocolate to your dog, you know, because it can actually it's like cocaine is what I've heard from a veterinarian. <sighs> it acts like cocaine in their system and it's not pleasant and they can die from it, um, basically from their heart. I'm laughing in horror. I yeah, just, isn't that horrible? <laughs> I just a dog would not understand what was happening to them. Yes. Oh, <laughs> oh dogs uh, <laughs> yeah honeybees also sleep um they're diurnal uh which is somewhat interesting in that uh you know with ants the sleep-wake cycles are not affected by light uh, it, i mean it helps that they have 253 a day uh, <laughs> so you know you probably want to spread that out a little i guess and uh they also, which is interesting, so some species, when sleep-deprived, have a sleep rebound. A lot of mammals have that, but not all. Uh, and bees also have it. So if they're sleep-deprived, and the, the method that the white paper I was reading described was they would uh, jiggle the bees around for five minutes, every 15 minutes, for 15 hours or something. So these poor bees are just being jiggled around all day (laughs) to be sleep deprived, which I'm sure worked. Um, And then they slept longer than non-jiggled bees. (laughs) (laughs) I love that this was a paper. Mm -hmm. The jig, the sleep deprivation of bees (laughs) (laughs) by jiggling. Yeah. And then they looked at how it affected their um, memory. Uh, ability to remember things and sleep does seem to be tied in bees to memory forming and uh the ability uh and then my last chunk of animals uh is dolphins whales and seals because uh, with fish um studies of fish sleeping are minimal and contradictory it's difficult to study whether or not a, sl- a fish sleeps and it really seems to depend on the fish mm-hmm. uh there are some fish that have no indication that they ever sleep uh there are some fish that very obviously sleep uh so but they don't have eyelids it's really hard to tell something that have eyelids uh is sleep because closing your eyes is probably pretty important to sleep uh But for dolphins, whales, and seals, so aquatic mammals, most of them are able to sleep while swimming. Half of their brain sleeps at a time. So that's cool. I know. I didn't know that was possible. (laughs) Uh, So one half can kind of swim around and look for predators and things, and the other half is asleep. Uh, But this is kind of a light sleep. There's no REM sleep that has been noted during what's called unihemispheric sleep. So one half of their brain. Hmm. Uh, 
And then, so with seals with ears versus seals with not ears, there's different sleep patterns. Uh, seals with ears sleep while swimming, uh, do not have REM sleep, and they periodically uh, breach the surface to breathe while they're sleeping uh, <laughs> in the water. And they will also then go on land and sleep completely like other mammals, uh, REM sleep, bihemispheric sleep. So it just switches depending on where they are and what they're doing. And they don't need recovery sleep after they've been deprived of REM sleep because they've been sleeping and swimming. Uh, huh. so, that's, so that's different from bees. Uh, and a lot of other mammals, like humans, uh, lack of REM sleep can literally drive you insane. So it's something we have to make up for uh, if we are deprived of it. Uh, but then uneared seals, and it's interesting that the eared seals are all one way and the ones without ears are all another way, because I feel like that's... I don't think so the ears... Do they have ears? They they have ears, like they... <laughs> they have tympanum, they just don't have little, like shell ears oh okay thank you i was like like i've never seen a seal with like a giant ear that yeah they be... got the they got the little little bitty ears oh okay they look kind of silly I think. <laughs> <laughs> like you'd think they'd either like have some huge earlobe or like huge ear shell to serve a purpose or nothing but mm -hmm. i don't i don't think they're vestigial i'm not uh uh mammologist either um well it's just cartilage so it would be yeah huh interesting but, uh uneared seals can sleep while swimming with their entire brain uh they hang vertically underwater with their nose above water and they can get rem sleep while underwater uh which is different from the eared seals uh, they can also do the half brain swimming sleeping uh, that sounds really relaxing, actually. <laughs> yeah, they just hang vertically and sleep. So if we were seals, would you, like, watch out for the sharks and the killer whales while I sleep? Half of my brain will. Okay, thank you. <laughs> and then they, it's, it's interesting, they switch between the halves. Okay. Uh, some whales do the same thing, where they sleep with half their brain and then periodically breach to breathe. Uh, some birds also do this. Uh, it's common in species like um, ducks, where if a group of ducks is in a, a large group, the ones on the outside, half their brain will be sleeping while they're sort of floating on the water, so that the other half their, of their body, their eye can be open and eye really quickly if they need to. Uh, some reptiles also have that ability. Uh, so it's a sort of evolutionarily speaking, it's an old ability versus something new, most likely, because reptiles, birds, and aquatic animals all have it. Huh. Interesting. Uh, and then my last sleep thing, because a lot of where do animals go when they sleep, it'll be, there'll they'll be talk of hibernation. And I didn't know this, uh, but hibernation is not sleep. Uh, it's just torpor. So they're just sitting around with a very low metabolic rate and the body temperature lowers a lot and they just sit around and animals actually need sleep while hibernating. So their bodies will warm themselves up and then they'll sleep and, and their metabolism will increase and then they'll wake up and I'm making air quotes again. <laughs> you know i'm good at podcasting but <laughs> they'll, they'll wake up and go back into hibernation so that's crazy yeah i i see this whole time i and i really think maybe the muppet movie it was a, you know, no the muppets take manhattan is to blame for this is because fozzy <laughs> was you know underneath the in the cave with his family and they were like sleeping and they were all snoring so for some reason like in my cartoon my cartoon understanding of bears <laughs> i just assumed they were all like you know they had blankets and they were all sleeping and snoring and 
Oh yeah. yeah. I assumed this as well. And I have yeah. a, I have a college education in biology. <laughs> <laughs> now to be fair, most of it was plant biology. Uh, that's the only reason I knew what methylated xanthine were, but, uh, that was, that was really awesome, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I took a really great class uh, in college called Useful Plants, and we talked about all kinds of economic u- uses of plants, and caffeine, theobromine, and theophylline featured prominently in a lecture, and so we got to like eat chocolate and drink tea and drink coffee and learn. It was fun. That's fantastic. See, I have a college education in sociology, so I'm really more interested in like the the social aspects of why we drink caffeine and why caffeine exists and why we all love caffeine. So it's interesting. It's an interesting mix of 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 things we both have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of two two sides of the same coin almost. Yes. So yeah, that's that's where butterflies go when they sleep. And then a whole bunch more, you know, fun sleep facts. I'm a fun facts kind of gal. Yay! I've never thought that bugs sleep. Like, I, I had always assumed they didn't. I don't know why. Like, why wouldn't they sleep? Well, and why would they? We, ne- we don't talk about arthropods much as a right. society except how to kill them. Or that the bees are all dying and we need to save them. Uh so that's it and that's so why would you and i've always i have always wondered where specifically butterflies go because they're so fragile physically right uh it's part of why i like them i really appreciate that something that's that delicate can be also be really robust and Mm -hmm. you know can withstand forces of flying and can withstand you know a thunderstorm and stuff so it's it's just sort of an appealing dichotomy to me. And so I think about butterflies a lot. And I was like, where do they go? They go at night. They go under a leaf and then they quiesce. <laughs> I, you know, I have a picture um, I took recently of this butterfly. Uh, recently as in before winter. <laughs> and it was at night and this butterfly, um, it just landed on my hand. It was just sitting there. I wasn't really doing much. It wasn't really, you know, acting scared or anything. It was just on my hand. And now I'm like, maybe the butterfly was sleeping and I was nice and warm. I easily Aww. could be. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Huh. It makes me wonder no what the uh, butterfly house at the Museum of Life and Science looks like at night. If there's, It's just like butterflies hanging like fruit under leaves. By the way, if you're ever in the Triangle area of North Carolina, go to the Museum of Life and Science. They are really awesome, and they have this butterfly house. They do butterfly releases every mm-hmm. day. Um, I used to volunteer here there when I first first moved here and, and needed some social interaction with people. I also love butterflies like Emily, and um, I got to learn a lot of really cool stuff and see butterflies I've never seen before. Like yeah. they're so amazing. They're just so cool. Like and, I think they've had a weird. couple Luna moths and weird and weird. Mm-hmm. The Luna moth is just unbelievable. Oh the yeah. First time I ever saw one. I'm like, that's as big as a bird. That's enormous. Yeah. And the Cecropian Atlas moths too. Yes. Very cool. And they sleep. Yep. So moths sleep during the day and butterflies sleep at night. Mm-hmm. Very you cool. To see one and you're like, is it sleeping? What are its antenna doing? That's what a scientist would ask you. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm is ass- it dreaming about? I'm <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Well, thank you. Oh, sure. Do you have a reuse suggestion for us? Um, I do, but if you have one too, that's cool. No, I don't really have one right now. <laughs> okay. So, um, as, as you may know, if you listen to, uh, one of the podcasts we had about where does stuff go after estate sales? Um, I don't know if I've mentioned this, but, um, people's crystal and glass, mm-hmm. um, don't sell really that well. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I've seen this really cool project, uh, various places, including Pinterest, if you're a Pinterest person, where people make glass flowers for the gardens out of oh, yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. So they take the plates, um, and they, I think a lot of them either drill holes with, if they have a drill that can handle this, um, like a tile saw or whatever, um, they drill holes for bolts and then they, they put like a dinner plate and then a, a saucer and then a little cup at the end. So it looks like a flower. So creative. And they use just pipe. So, um, a lot of times if you go to estate sales or thrift stores or, um, you know, charity stores, you can find a lot of glassware, for super cheap. So this is a great project. Mm-hmm. If you want your if you want your garden to be really cool looking and have big glass flowers that shine in the sun. Um, so this is a, a really neat project that you can do. Um, and I've seen all kinds of things. People make enormous sunflowers. I've seen people make bird baths where they have, you know, a giant crystal bowl, you know, they got for a dollar. Um, and then they like silicone it to, uh, a giant platter and then put it on pipe. It's very pretty cause it catches the light. Um, there's so much colored glass out there, um, that, you know, basically isn't popular anymore, hardly. Mm-hmm. Um, just cause baby, there were a lot of baby boomers and this was, you know, the thing to have when you entertained was, you know, crystal sets or, or different glass sets. Um, so yeah, it's out there and that's a great project and we can have a link to it on, um, the notes, man, we should start a Patreon and then make those as Patreon gifts. <laughs> that would be fun. That would be fun. And mm-hmm. we could, we could record ourselves yucking it up with silicone cock and crystal <laughs> no one wants. <laughs> <sighs> My flower looks like a pile of glass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's called the such and such so and so flower. Didn't you know? <laughs> I'm a botanist, trust me. <laughs> nice. You can't Google it because it's uh it's real rare and <laughs> You can't you can't spell it. It the spelling changes all the time. <laughs> they reclassified it recently. I don't know. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Sarah. Yeah, thank you. It was awesome. <laughs>